Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Forward Maryland. This is Bill Woodcock. And today we are proud to have joining us a candidate for the Howard County Board of Education. His name is Tom Hefner. Tom, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And Tom is a candidate. Uh, for those of you who are uninitiated, uh, Howard County is now uh, no longer electing their school board members by uh, at large. They are voting on in the same districts in which you vote for the Howard County Council. And so Tom is running for District 3, which is the southern and southeastern part of Howard County. Uh, so Tom, uh, without any further ado, tell us a little bit about yourself and why did you decide to run for this full-time $15,000 a year job? District <laughs> <laughs> uh, So yeah, let me tell you a little bit about myself and then I'll talk a little bit about why I decided to run. Um, my background is originally in RF systems engineering. So I spent 15 years uh, for, for a lot of folks in Howard County. You're familiar with mm -hmm. the Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory. Rings a bell. Yeah, a big nerd house, right? Uh -huh. um, <laughs> And uh, I spent the first, I'll say, probably seven or eight years doing hardcore technical work. And so I was building, designing jammer systems that would go out into Iraq and Afghanistan to keep our troops and coalition soldiers safe from uh, improvised explosive devices that were detonated by RF means. Mm -hmm. And I think I learned pretty early on that there was a lot of other smarter people <laughs> than me. And so I ended up uh, taking on a leadership role, doing project program management, um, and then because of the work that we were doing, we were we were trying to save lives of soldiers. And if you remember back in the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, in the very beginning, we were losing 50, 60, sometimes 70 troops a day, um, or at least, you know, there was some amount that were being killed and some were being maimed. And it was a very stressful job <laughs> so because we were putting uh, updates to our system. They were going out fairly often, like sometimes three times a month, twice, uh, twice a month. And I noticed that there was a lot of people that were um, on my team that were getting burned out. Like, why should we even bother trying? Like, the bad guy's just gonna, he's just gonna come up with a new way. So I ended up going back to school and we were talking about this earlier. Mm -hmm. And I went to go study positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. So basically this idea of how we can help people to thrive in, in work, in their personal lives, in their community. And through that experience, I ended up coming into um, design thinking, sometimes called human-centered design. Mm -hmm. And that really changed uh, the trajectory of my career. I ended up coming back and, and using that and some of the principles and insights of positive psychology to drive innovation for the lab. Spent my last six years doing that. And, um, and then eventually I said, well, you know, the lab's cool and stuff, but I, I want to do my own thing. And I started my own business basically as an innovation consultant. And just through that experience, through my own experience of, um, of, of driving innovation and driving impactful change for people, I realized, oh, well, we, we have this big thing over here, the, you know, the BOE, and I've watched over the years um, kind of one debacle after another. Uh, I won't, because uh, some people got sued when they said something about previous uh, superintendents. Oh, heavens, yes. We don't <laughs> yeah. want any suits. But, but, you know, there's controversies around things like uh, the mold issue in schools, bullying, mm -hmm. um, redistricting, as we've seen in this last go-around. But even mm -hmm. before that, when they, they, did, they had that redistricting process going on, and then they paused it, and then they did it again, each time it was just like one debacle after another. And so, I don't know, I was raised that, if you can help, if you see a problem and you can help, 
then you should do it, right? And so awesome. uh, not unlike a lot of the other candidates in this uh, that are you know, great candidates and think that they can help, that was kind of my, my thinking. Terrific. Where are you from originally? Are you from? A man of the world, Bill. You man are. Of the world. Excellent. <laughs> so my dad uh, was in the Marine Corps for 27 years. Okay. Hoorah, simplify. And I spent my, my youth growing up pretty much uh, all around. I was, uh, I was born in North Carolina, ended up, uh, we moved to the Philippines, we went to Virginia, South Carolina, California, back to Virginia. I went to um, my undergrad at Penn State. So We are? Yeah, we are. That's right. <laughs> All right, so so what's impressive about me about about me? (laughs) What's impressive? What's impressive that I'm hearing about you is uh, is is uh, having years of involvement of at least following what's going on in the school system. About how long? About how long have you been following some of these things? I've been a resident of Howard County, I think, for 16 years, 15 or 16 years. That being said. I probably took a closer look once I started having kids. <laughs> right, as as is normal. Yeah, so yeah. I would say at least you know ten years. I've been well. I won't say I was like a hardcore follower, but I was definitely casually following. And then definitely in these last five years, four or five years, with my oldest son, as he's entered in, you know, now he's in middle school, but you know, when he was in elementary school, and just um, I probably have more of a vested interest just because my oldest son has ADHD, so um, he's got a five hundred four, and and we have to work. Kind of extra hard to, to to manage accommodations and manage his learning than we do with say you know uh, maybe the, the average kid. So you've had so you have definitely seen what what is considered the current era in the Howard County Board of Education and, and the politics therein. So that that that's very good. Well, I just want to say the first thing I'm hearing I hear about explosives. I hear about innovation. <laughs> Uh, all very closely related. Yeah. Uh, but as far as um, the transferability of skills, so where do you see yourself if you were to be elected? How can you employ those skills to uh, I- improve the, the level of governance we're having at that particular level? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I would say, uh, and I, I don't say this arrogantly, but I, I think I'm the only candidate running uh, with a focus on innovation. And so I spent my entire career solving really complex, challenging problems for the DOD, Mm -hmm. which consists of a lot of passionate and sometimes polarizing stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's somewhat similar to our current environment with uh, our county, right? Right. Um, And so uh, my thing is, I I learned the fundamentals of innovation Mm -hmm. uh, through a lot of uh, hard work, but a lot of practice, but then also a lot of of study. It's what I do as a consultant. I go into organizations and I teach them the fundamentals of innovation. That is, how can you solve problems um, better than you currently are now, mm-hmm. right? And so that's a big part of what I plan to bring mm-hmm. to uh, to the BOE. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other piece I would say is, uh, and, and probably a lot of candidates, you know, have their own experience of being successful as leaders. And you know, I led a program, uh, the Crew program, counter our CID electronic warfare. That's fancy talk for building those jammer systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, multi-million dollar program where. The end goal was either we solved it and troops survived, or we didn't and troops died, mm-hmm. and we solved it. The troops, you know, using our equipment, uh, at least when I was still on that program, nobody ever died using our equipment. Mm-hmm. So um, I bring kind of those years of leadership and experience of leading a team, a cross-functional team, a multidisciplinary team, uh, and managing, again, a lot of uh, very different but passionate and sometimes polarizing stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And a lot of high stakes work as well. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, one of the reasons why we had a lot of high burnout on that program was because nobody wants to be responsible. Or, 
people don't want to be responsible for somebody's death, right? And so um, definitely high stakes. Can I ask one more mm -hmm. uh, on, on this related point? Uh, from a methodological perspective, uh, so you, you see the board as, as it currently exists. Uh, where do you see as the greatest impediments to innovation? Are, are they policy driven? Or are they personnel driven? Both? I mean, so where do you see the, the, the areas where things are getting caught up and that need to get unstuck? I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um, I think there's things that they can do in terms of reaching out. I, I don't think, you know, the last time uh, that, so I'll say not this last time that they did the redistricting, but, but the time before that, mm -hmm. I was very active in going to a lot of meetings. Mm -hmm. And what they did terribly, because they don't, they didn't have a, a good sense for how to do this, was how to engage the community in an effective way, in an effective and a collaborative way. And a part of what I teach in, in innovation is how do we collaborate effectively? Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, we were talked at, right? Mm -hmm. I, was, I was told that, you know, I need to suck it up and this is for the good of, the, uh, of everybody else. You should share the burden, right? I was never asked, you know, my, what my feelings were. I was never asked what my pain points were. I was not, never asked what was working, what wasn't working. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I was never asked to, to work with other people to, to forge consensus around, you know, uh, opportunities that we could pursue, right? Mm -hmm. I was never asked to engage in that, uh, that activity. And I'm not alone in that. You know, I say that as me, me, me. But, but these are stories that if you talk to any one of uh, my friends, anyone in our community, they would tell you the same thing. Mm -hmm. So you speak to something that I think is very key, which is the engagement issue, because I agree with you. I, I agree that there was a lot about that process that was outside the public, trans-public, very very, I think, and, and I think maybe there are some board members who kind of realize, wow, we didn't think this thing through, but what's done is done. And, and unfortunately, it, it, for some of them, they've lost credibility now because you said you wouldn't do this, but you have. So more to your situation, you know, what you're walking into that I see is a very polarized environment now, and everything is a binary choice, mm -hmm. you know. You know, we either have to have full school equity or, damn it, don't move my kid anywhere because they're never going to succeed in life if you move them to another school. How do you bridge that? How do you work to do that? And, you know, you can answer. I mean, I'm thinking about this in terms of, of certainly in your own professional experience. I'm sure you've dealt with difficult situations and people and circumstances, but also, you know, I think part of the passion we see is that these are people's kids and everybody wants what's best for their kids. So how, how are you going to help, you know, have these sides talk to each other and maybe hopefully start to cool the temperature of what's going on? I think a few things there. I would probably leverage a lot of the, the methods and activities that I've used in innovation uh, mm -hmm. towards engaging and engaging you know stakeholders and engaging uh, users into that uh, to that mix, as well as helping around prioritization. So I think one of the things that was a challenge, right, is if you listen to Dr. Martirano's uh, you know driving focus, you know he, he wanted everything. He's like, wow, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna solve capacity. We're gonna solve equity. We're gonna solve uh, you know, demographics, we're going to solve, and you have to, at some point, prioritize, right? Mm -hmm. And they never did that, and, and that's one of the reasons why they struggled to come up with something, because you can optimize, 
it, I don't know if you said this, but you're an engineer by trade, right? I'm not, actually. I'm, okay. a, I'm a finance person, but I know a lot about engineering. I used to run a biomedical engineering department. For okay, so, so you'll appreciate it. I know a lot about it, yeah. So what I would say about that is that you can't, it, well, it's very difficult to optimize for four or five variables. It's a lot easier right. to optimize for one or two variables, right? And I think um, it was poor leadership on his part. Right. One, he didn't set clear priorities. You know, if you just we have this, this saying in design, if you design for everyone, you design for no one. If you design for everything, you design for nothing. Mm -hmm. um, so he didn't set clear priorities. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and then the board also in working in conjunction with him didn't do that. Um, and then he never he never was he was never out there. Never once did I see him out there in any of our meetings saying, hey, this is the plan that we've come up with. And here's what this means. And here's how we came about. You know, like, here's why we're, uh, we've done it this way. And here's why we're asking you to make these sacrifices. He was never there. That's like, and people are like, well, he can't do that. You know, he's a busy man. It's too hard. I'm like, well, the too hard piles, that's, that's not an excuse. Right. Like, you're getting paid a lot of money, right? You are the leader of this entire uh, county. You have to show up. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to spend a minute if I, if, if mind i'll ask you the question <laughs> if you do mind terribly that's fine yeah. but um about the busyness element you already mentioned that, that you have kids uh you have mentioned that you've got your own your own company um i've had a number of conversations with folks who have served on the board or have, have run for the board and one of the recurring themes i keep hearing is is that what you really need is the vitality of a young richie zisk in order to really go out there and be able to spend the time on a, uh, but it's essentially almost a full-time position in and of itself. So do you think that you'll have the time uh, to be able to dedicate uh, to the position? Uh, I hope so, or else I wouldn't be running. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, well, many people find it, I mean, from what I hear, a lot of people are very surprised when they get in. And perhaps they shouldn't be surprised, but folks have thought, well, maybe I can get by with this by doing this, you know, 10, 15 hours a week, or finding, oh my gosh, it's taking 20, 30 hours a week. And especially if they are employed full time, they they've got to find that balance. Yeah. Well, so I would push back and say maybe that's like a false choice, right? Like maybe that you, you don't like it doesn't have to be forty hours a week. In other words, more work does not always equal better work. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that you can do is leverage uh, an active community to help you, uh, you know, uh, get involved. There's no shortage of volunteers, right? Mm -hmm. um, I've run design workshops with five hundred people. I've run design workshops with known as design sprints if you're in the world of Google, right? Google design sprints um, with, you know, 20 people, 500 people, 1,000 people. And so there's no shortage of people volunteering to help uh, with those types of events. There's no shortage of people that will go out there and participate. They just haven't been asked. They've been talked to. Mm -hmm. They haven't been asked to engage. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, yes, I do think I have the time to do it. And I think I have, I've, I've learned and practiced uh, the, the, the skills of, of human-centered design, or sometimes you'll hear it as design thinking, um, to uh, to accomplish these goals. Uh, it's what I've used when I've you know helped uh, design jammer systems that go out in Iraq. It's what I've used when I've helped to design a more diverse and inclusive organization for APL. Mm -hmm. It's what I've used when the CNO, the uh, Chief Naval Officer uh, of the Navy, um, had asked us to help us um, cultivate more resilience. And sailors, he, they used different words. It was around toughness, but that's what they were really asking was around resilience. So um, I have a lot of practice using these uh, these methods and these approaches. So um, 
I think I, I would be successful based on my prior success, right? And, and I guess to that point, um, you know, the fact that this is a district-wide race now, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, I mean, to Jason's point before about the time factor, you know, um, to how do you see that working to your advantage? That, you know, even though you'll have to be mindful of the whole county, that you're running in an area. How do you see that balance between countywide situational awareness and involvement, you know, for and representing the people and the schools in, in the third? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, from a, from a campaign perspective, it, it makes it easier, right? There's less people mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're worried about in some sense. The, the numbers game work more in your favor. Um, but I think, you know, from a, if, if you're elected and you're doing your job, it's probably less relevant, right? Because you're still, although I'm representing district three and representing all, all the kids, right? All the mm-hmm. children in there. Um, so it's probably less relevant there. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, one question I definitely wanted to ask. Um, What's your deal, Tom? No. Oh, uh, well, I don't know. Uh, are we there? Are we at? Not, What's your no, deal, Tom? Yeah, I don't know. far too early. So if, if you were on the board at the present board, um, how would you have handled the redistricting controversy? What's either from a substantive perspective, which is, of course, our focus, or, uh, or a communications perspective as well? What difference would you have made uh, given the situation? So I'm going to interpret that and say, hey, if you were presented with what they were presented with, right? Yeah. Um, and I would say I wouldn't have voted the way they did, obviously. It's mm-hmm. I think that although the, the, the original plan by Dr. Martorano um, was flawed in, in, in many ways, I think it's foolish to think that you could come up with a new plan in a very, very short amount of time. We're talking over the course of, what, one, two meetings – addressing uh, the concerns from the community, right, that you were hearing. You were hearing all these uh, people come in and, and, and testify or, or speak in front of them and then say, okay, well, we have this plan over here. We paid some, you know, group of experts. This is supposedly their, their area of expertise to come up with a plan. We're going to just say, eh, you know what, we'll just shelve that one. Right. We're going to pivot over here using our own expertise and our own skills, which may or may not and probably not, be in this area of trying to optimize this parametric equation uh, for the best possible outcome. Like I never would have voted for that second one. Mm-hmm. That's a, I mean, that's literally one of the dumbest things I've ever seen somebody do. Mm-hmm. Because you have no time to reflect. You have no time to rec- uh, critique. You're doing it in real time. That just seems like a terrible idea. And I say that recognizing that, that Martirano's plan uh, was flawed, right? I mean, the, Part of the problem there was you hired a group of consultants to do something for you, and you didn't actually know what they were doing. The reason why he didn't come out, one of the reasons why he didn't come out and talk to people is he didn't know what they were doing. That's what happens when you buy consultants. (laughs) They come back, they give you something, you say, okay, great, I'll take that. And it's okay to hire consultants, but you have to know what they're doing. You have to know how they came about their solution. And either he didn't know it, and that was why he didn't come out and, and and stand in front of people and be a true leader. I get that it's hard, but again, the two hard pile is not an excuse. Uh, or um, he did know it and he didn't want to put that time and effort in. And granted, that's a, I, I, will, I will grant you that that is a laborious effort to have to go out and do that. But when you're talking about something that's going to impact 
thousands of, of students in a significant and impactful way, when you're talking about things that are going to impact the community, mm -hmm. then you have to do that. So now, so what, what you what you said that, that's lit my candle is um, this relationship with the superintendent, because it doesn't seem to be something that the Board of Education in Howard County has gotten right for a while. How would you, so, and again, you know, living within the same framework, Tom is now on the board. How would you conduct yourself urge your board members, fellow board members, to look at the relationship between the board and their one and only employee, as they always say, the superintendent. And how do you see, you know, how how do you how do you see that moving forward? Well look, I mean, ideally you should have a good working relationship with them because sure. in my mind, the board is they're setting vision. Right? They're, they're setting a clear vision. Mm -hmm. They're um, coming up with policy to help to begin to operationalize that vision. They are demonstrating accountability with uh, alongside the teachers and the superintendent about how the, the, the student performances and outcomes, the educational outcomes. Mm -hmm. They're playing a role in, you know, as a leader in the community. They are forging, helping forge consensus around you know, policies and things like that. And so at the end of the day, you would hope that the person that's directly responsible for operationalizing all that stuff would be working with you. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think at the end of the day, you, you have to have a good relationship with them and you have to be working with them closely. But I will, I will say that I think it's the, the BOE's role to take more of the leadership uh, in terms of, I mean, in my mind, they're, they're doing all those things. And then the, the principal is operation, operationalizing it within the, the county. Well, I guess what I'm what I'm thinking, and maybe and I don't know what you think about this, can I ask? But 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 you know, in the case we just brought up, there must have been some kind of gap, unless if there wasn't, which is also possible. And and you know, did the I mean, I'm assuming the board just went out, charged the superintendent with come up with this redistricting plan, get back to us, you know. I don't know, but you know, you know, project management, I'm a PMP, <laughs> you have a charter, you have expectations, you have plans, you know, all of your parameters. I don't know if that was ever followed in this case, but the fact that there were so many gaps between what was brought forth and then how it was presented would suggest that they are. So I guess my question is more on a level of accountability. You know, how do you see like that day-to-day -day relationship going on between the board members and the superintendent knowing about, you know, not just these big issues, but, you know, the other issues that just make the trains run on time in the school system from the transportation issues to student health care. And you hit upon a huge one with special education. How, how do you envision that working? With the, yeah, with the, the superintendent, I mean, again, I think I would say, you know, there's two things that happen here, right? Like either you work together and, and you work collaboratively and, and respectfully, uh, or you do it the other way, which is the harder way, which is, you know, the, the board has the power to, to, to call him out. The board mm -hmm. has the power to, um, you know, to be more forceful. Um, if, if I'll give you an example. If I was on the board uh, during, during that time when he was absent, Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, where's Waldo? Right. right. Um, 
there would have been some conversations. I would have started off with like, hey, listen, here's what you need to do. From an outside perspective, here's what I'm hearing from the community. Because this is not just Tom's perspective. Right. This is people in my community. This is people in other communities that I've spoken to about this. They're like, where is he? Where is he? So what, you know, you talk to him, you have the conversation with him. You need to get out there. This is what you need to do. You know, and then at a certain point, if that's not happening, then there are other methods to compel. There's the sick and there's the carrot. Right. And, yeah. and, and as a board member, you have an assigned cl cluster of schools that you talk with and you get the ground truth and you can put forth that intel back to back to your staff person. You look like you have something, Jason. Oh, well, I do. I, I didn't know if you had more. You I, 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 I'm willing to defer. Oh, okay. Thank you. Uh, one thing that's perhaps it's a, more of a, a new phenomenon, but you're seeing uh, what appears to be a little bit of a, a score settling uh, when it comes to education policy in Howard County. Uh, insofar as you're seeing folks, they're, they're, they're going out to MPIAs and they're trying to gather information on, on communications uh, between those sitting on the board and other citizens in our county. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Is this something that's going to be ephemeral, um, or, 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 or is this something more enduring as far as, um, are we going to see this little back and forth going on as we, as we still see sides taking shape in the education debate? I mean, I would like to say that it's ephemeral, that it's transient, but it's not. People are, are mad, right? And they're mad because they don't feel like they're being heard. So that goes back to the, the, the original question or one of the original things that we talked about, which is people don't feel like they're being heard. People don't feel like they're being engaged in this process. They feel like they're being talked at and shut out. Um, so, and no, I don't think it's going to change. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, one of the things that that we as board members can do to, to maybe to try to help mitigate that is to go and speak with the people that we, we represent, right? Go and talk to them. And the more people you talk to and the more people that see you as a human being, and that is, you know, uh, a political partisan person, even though it's supposed to be nonpartisan, mm -hmm. um, the more that they'll treat you like a human being, right? I mean... So, yeah, that, that actually, and I agree. I agree with everything you said, but you also hit upon something that I know was, was something that's a curiosity of mine, because <laughs> even though the, the fact that Board of Education members are nonpartisan is a poorly kept secret. Um, you know, certainly the last two would be, uh, would be uh, in that category. Um, I don't want, I, I guess, what I, I don't want you to characterize yourself, and I'm certainly not asking, but recognizing that that's the environment, which it seems you do, how are you going to plan to get elected? Well, yeah, so well, there's there's two things, right? I mean, I think this idea, let me, let me track back to partisan, nonpartisan. Right. Uh, this idea that, you know, that we're, that all of us can be nonpartisan is probably a little bit foolish. We all have our own biases. We all have right. our own um, political alignments. And right. so I think it's, it, the important piece is to be aware of those, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and if you're aware of them and, and, and you're going into a conversation or you're going into a policy meeting or you're going into a discussion, if you're aware of them and then you're, you're going to be that much better off for it. And then also if you're always got to keep top of mind, like this isn't about me, right? This is about the education of the children in our County. Mm -hmm. um, but there's oftentimes people either aren't aware of them or don't care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then they, they treat it as a political, um, you know, as a, a, a political enterprise. I mean, I think one of the things that I consciously did with this and 
we'll see if it's successful or not. Uh, probably a lot of people would say maybe this is an unsuccessful approach is that I'm one of the very few candidates that's not taking money. Okay. Um, so there's candidates out there you can see on Scott uh, Ewerts Ewert's blog um, who've raised over $10,000 already. Right. Right. That's clearly a political uh, angle or that's clearly a political approach. Mm-hmm. So my approach was, listen, um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to live or die on the merits of my ideas and I'm not going to, to the extent I can, I'm not going to make this an overly political thing. And maybe that's, <laughs> maybe that means that I'll get it sunk quickly. I don't know. Um, but I, I deliberately did not want to take donations. So if you go to Tom Hefner, uh, for BOE.org, mm-hmm. you'll see a donate button on there. Uh, that's a little tongue in cheek, a little cheeky. Uh, if you click on it, it's donate your time. Right. And all I'm mm-hmm. asking for people is just, Hey, Share, share my website, share an idea that I've shared with you, share a position that I've shared with you with somebody else, because I don't think that people should be making this overly political in, in the kind of the traditional sense, right? Mm-hmm. We all spend enough money uh, <laughs> on schooling, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's through taxes or through textbooks or through, you know, supplies or whatever that, you know, this stuff is, you should save your money for your kid's education and not donate it to me. Uh, and really not donated to, to another BOE uh, member. Um, but that's, you know, that's my approach to getting elected. Uh, we'll see if it's successful or not. Okay. Yeah, I did wonder, um, and again, this is sort of ideology aside, uh, do you have a, a model Board of Education member in mind, either is currently serving on the board or has recently served on the board? Anyone you say, you know what, they, they do a very good example. They set a good example for being who a Board of Education member should be, focusing on the right issues or doing the right things as far as oversight. Any name for you come to mind as being someone who represents that ideal? So, so here's what I would say about that. With not, without being like, I would feel uncomfortable putting somebody's name that I hadn't felt like I've, I've, I've done enough due diligence on everybody. Sure, sure. Give us names, Tom. Yeah, give us names, Tom. Give me names. But what I will, what I will say is, I'll kind of uh, go back to those five things I talked about earlier, which was you, a, a model BOE member should be doing things like setting vision, right? Uh, helping to create policy to advance that vision, uh, demonstrating accountability alongside the teachers and, and the other administrators, mm-hmm. uh, playing that role of leadership uh, in, in the community. And then finally, and, and this is you know where a lot of the, I mean, all of these things I, I feel like I, my background in innovation will lend itself to, but forging consensus, right? And I think the the important piece there is, you know, you are in a, in a position of leadership, so having uh, character is really important, and demonstrating character, so things like courage, uh, things like wisdom, and then probably most importantly, especially the you know given the world that we live in right now, is respect, mm-hmm. respect and kindness towards other people, and what that means is. There's going to be some times where you're sitting in a, in a BOE meeting and people are, from the public are testifying and they're, maybe they're being disrespectful to you. Maybe they're yelling at you. Maybe they're angry at you. Right? Everybody's got a burden that they're carrying. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't always know what that is or, or why that is. But it's our job as a leader to be respectful, to be kind, and to listen. And to really listen to them. doesn't mean we have to agree with them. doesn't mean we have to, to do what they say. But to really, really listen, uh, and then finally, once you've decided, and this doesn't mean that you can't change your mind, but once you've decided, like this, this is the path, or this is the solution, or this is the decision or intervention that I'm going to 
uh, the decision I'm going to make or the intervention I'm going to advocate for, like have a backbone of steel. Right? You won't see me. I can't promise you. The one thing I can promise you is I won't be bullied. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm not going to bend. I'm not going to break. I'm not going to come back from a recess and change my vote. Mm -hmm. That will never happen. I'm not going to change my vote because of somebody bullying me. Right? If I change my vote, it's because I have new information or I, I have some new analysis or I have some right. new way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you have to have some courage to do what's right. So, so a couple things, and then I'll, I'll ask, I'll ask uh, one more question. Well, one, one thing, then I'll ask a question. I will push back gently on your not raising money because I think you have a very important message and I think it needs to get out. So I think it's important to have some literature to, to give people and to let people take home wherever you are. This is what you're about. So, so what just a suggestion. Yeah, so what I, what I will say is I'm not taking donation, okay. but, I, but I am willing to spend some of my own money. You are funding. Yeah. Okay. Now, it won't be, it, it's not going to be much because I'm spending my own money. <laughs> 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 I'm not independently wealthy, but, uh, but I did plan on having, you know, uh, some yard signs, some, some other things that I can, things that I can handle. Excellent. That makes me feel better. No, no um, TV spots. I don't, no TV spots. I, oh, that may be good. <laughs> Just to take a step back, it's crazy that we're not even, we're still two months out, right, from the, the primary, or thereabouts. Mm -hmm. uh, and people have over $10,000, $15,000. Uh, or, or, or over twenty in one case. Yeah. And, and that is to run in one district. I mean, it was not that long ago that 10,000 was the Cadillac race for Board of Ed for the entire county. It's, mm -hmm. it's absurd. Um, but I guess the last question I'm going to ask is, you know, what, um, you know, how, you know, when, when you're elected, you know, what are ways, you know, beyond, you know, the cluster? that you're going to use to take the temperature of your district? Because you have a very broad base. I mean, from over here in Owen Brown, all the way down to North Laurel, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and out towards Maple Lawn area even. I mean, it's, it's a very diverse district. So, you know, again, with time and resources being limited, how are you going to keep in touch with people you know, what's your what's your plan on being able to send, like I, like we talked about before, that great ground truth up to Club 108, which kind of has the <laughs> reputation of, of being slightly deaf of ear. So I'm a big fan of ethnography. So you guys know what ethnography is? Oh, they're a great band. Yeah. <laughs> it's quick on that one. Uh, no, so ethnography is just like the fancy way of saying the study of people. Right. And so a big part of that is ethnographic interviewing, observations, contextual, yeah, contextual inquiry, uh, walk a mile immersion. Those would be tools that I would uh, that I would lean on for myself and for, for others that are that are volunteering to help get a better sense of what the real problems are, what the real needs are, what's working well. Right. Like you don't want to take something out. Like oftentimes the best thing we can do is not break something that's working well. Um, but those are things that I would lean on for both myself and, and volunteers to, uh, to help get a better sense, a more accurate sense of what's going on on the ground. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, as a researcher, I commend you for uh, using all the tools of the trade to figure out, um, you know, the, the voice of, of the average citizen uh, 
because that, that is one thing we're hearing in a number of conversations is the fact that uh, folks feel alienated, they feel excluded, they don't feel as though they're being listened to. So being able to have those sort of conversations, and you see those at times, particularly, I can think of at least one county council uh, member who used to have regular, they were larger than, uh, than sort of kitchen cabinet meetings, but they were community meetings, mm -hmm. uh, district one at least. He's not doing them anymore. But uh, for I think reasons that are obvious, but um, <laughs> but, but it, it is good that uh, you're. It sounds as though you want to employ uh, some some modern techniques in order to ensure that you're you're, you're really hearing back from folks. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I do have one other question, um, and, and this is uh, uh, something we, we'd like to ask folks that are, especially if they're if they're seeking public office, just to get a, a very quick sense of sort of you know who they are, what their what their true priorities are. What, what their values and most important to them are. And, and that question is, uh, is what's your deal? Well, what's your deal after? <laughs> so what is your deal? Drum roll, please. In, in a short, succinct uh, uh, statement, what would it be? So if we're talking about education, right? Like I, my deal is to do everything I can in my power to be the most relentless, enthusiastic, and passionate person that I can be and effective at helping create the best education for all kids, all children in Howard County, right? And I think that some of the things I'm gonna focus on are gonna be a little bit different and probably, I would say nobody else is gonna focus on maybe, uh, or at least not right now, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. the things that I'm gonna focus on. So one of the things that I'm a big believer in is this idea of innovation fluency. You know, it used to be that um, school was in, in the industrial revolution. It was like learning basic arithmetic and uh, and how to write, how to read and write. Like that was your ticket to success. Mm -hmm. But that's not enough anymore, right? Um, and, and even now where you hear people always talking about STEM, STEM, STEM. And it's not enough to be smart in math. It's not enough to be smart in English. It's not enough to be smart in science. The thing that's going to differentiate these kids in the workforce, the thing that's going to differentiate us as a community, us as a country, as a state, as a country from everybody else is our ability to think creatively and innovate, right? I see this all the time with the, the, the clients that I work with across industry, across domains, across countries, a kid's ability, a child's ability to think creatively and innovate is gonna be really, really important. So a big part of what I would be proposing would be teaching innovation as a, uh, and I know there's a class, like my, my oldest son is in a class right now. So not, you know, it's not a great class, but, um, but to teach them the fundamentals of innovation. Mm -hmm. um, and I would extend that to teachers as well. I've done a lot of work with um, school teachers in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. teaching them the fundamentals of innovation. So that's a big one. Uh, another one is teaching resilience. Mm -hmm. So my background, from studying positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania, a big part of that was this idea around wellness. And you know, you, we always talk about things about um, depression and, and, and disease pathology of, of, of the mind. But what's also important is how we live well. And I think one of the things that I've seen right now with kids is this struggle for a variety of reasons, with, that's a whole other podcast episode, uh, where kids are struggling struggling with depression, struggling with anxiety. If you look at the depression levels right now for kids, uh, they're higher than they've ever been. If you look at the levels of self-cutting, uh, self-harm, mm -hmm. which is measured by self-cutting, 
they're astronomical of suicide, astronomically higher than they were before. And one of the things that we don't do well is teach kids the cognitive tools of resilience. And this is something that I taught for years with uh, the U.S. Army. So part of my graduate research was in a, around resilience and could we teach that and could we cultivate that? So I think that's got to be a big one because it's not going to get any easier, right? Like bullying is not going to just magically go away. I mean, <laughs> we could talk about, you know, the, the administrative actions or lack thereof with, right. with bullying. And, and that's, again, a whole other episode, <laughs> um, but that's not going away. And so teaching them the skills of, uh, of resilience so that they can bounce back and push through the inevitable adversities that they're going to face both in school and in life mm-hmm. is really, really important. Mm-hmm. I think um, character, character mm-hmm. strengths, uh, this idea of cultivating character strengths in our children is incredibly, incredibly important. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if anybody, if, if you're listening and you're not sure what, uh, what character strengths are, go to the values in action survey. Uh, it's via.org, I think, or via character.org. And, but what it was, was the, these, these uh, psychologists, uh, both uh, Martin Seligman and Chris Peterson, mm-hmm. they went around the world. They looked at different cultures, different uh, across time, across cultures, across, um, uh, what did I say, across time cultures, and there was probably one other dimension I'm, I'm forgetting. But, and they wanted to see what were these kind of universally praised or revered things, i.e. strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they found were these, they have a set of, uh, I think it's 24, um, and things like wisdom, courage, mm-hmm. um, you know, love of learning. And oftentimes we as adults don't even know what our, our strengths are. Mm-hmm. And certainly kids don't. And so it's our job as parents, it's our job as educators, it's our job as administrators to help them identify what their strengths are, to help them cultivate what those strengths are. Um, this is, these things are foundational. They're way more important. People get wrapped up in like, you know, the Kumon and, and all these things to get their kids to like the next greatest thing. Like they're going to be amazing at math. They're going to be, mm-hmm. it's more foundational. Like I can guarantee you, I can't predict the future, but I can guarantee you your children will encounter adversity in their life. And the ability to bounce back and push through that adversity is really important. That's what separates successful people and not successful people. That's mm-hmm. what uh, se- separates people um, that have a, a better well-being. And one of the ways that you do that is you leverage your strengths, you know, your strengths, your character strengths. Um, and then the last, the last thing, probably not necessarily related to those three things, it is in a way, it's around wellness, is um, later start times for, uh, for teenagers. Mm-hmm. So the, the data is clear on this. Mm-hmm. You, know, mm-hmm. you don't need your kid up at five in the morning, your teenager up at 5 a.m. in the morning. And I know there's people that have logistical challenges around this and there's safety challenges, you know, people concerned about uh, having, you know, say middle school or, or elementary school uh, earlier in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, the, the too hard pile is, is not the right, uh, exactly. uh, the right excuse. Mm-hmm. I do have one quick question for you. Uh, I know we're sort of getting close on time, but as far as resilience is concerned, I mean, do you see this as something that needs to be just fundamentally ingrained uh, throughout K-12, uh, you know, sort of part of the backdrop of the lessons in addition to being a standalone sort of programmatic element? Um, and if so, will that have to be modified uh, based on uh, issues or uh, factors such as uh, class, uh, race, uh, gender? I mean, do you see this as something that needs to be customized uh, depending on the school, depending on the student? 
I don't think it needs to be customized. And I say that from, from experience of having taught this through a, a wide variety um, of, of, of demographics, ages, et cetera, et cetera, uh, backgrounds uh, in the US Army. And now, does it need to be you know woven into all of the curriculum? Or does it need to be a standalone programmatic element? Or does it need to be a combination of both? I'll say it's probably a combination of both. We have some pretty good exemplars to look to for this. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've ever heard of the KIPP schools, uh, the KIPP schools are a really great model for this. There are other schools that, that do similar things. Um, at the very least, just having the teachers go through some training so that they can model it is a start because this is, you know, the thing you learn about parenting, and I'll say this as, as somebody who made a lot of mistakes as a parent, but as somebody who has three kids, you can tell your kids all day long what to do, but if you yourself are not doing them, then it never, it never lands. Right? If you want your kids to be kind and respectful, then guess what? You should show kindness and respect when you know, you're sitting in line at the Chick-fil-A and there's a huge line and somebody screwed up your order and the easy thing to do is to yell at them or to, you know, have a sarcastic remark. If we want our kids to be kind, we have to show kindness. If we want our kids and demonstrate it to be respectful, we have to show and demonstrate it. Well, the same thing goes for resilience. If we want our kids to, to be resilient and to use the, the tools of resilience, and these aren't like, this is a, you can teach these to anybody. We've taught them to kids in, in elementary school all the way up into you know, the army. Um, but if you want them to use these tools of, of resilience, these ways of thinking, then you have to use them. You have to demonstrate it, right? That's what a good leader does. It's not the only thing, but you have to demonstrate, by, you know, that's part of leadership. And I think that if nothing else, even if you didn't have a programmatic element, if you just had the teachers uh, demonstrating these different mindsets or these different, uh, ways of thinking to be more resilient, that would be helpful. Now, that being said, you know, a comprehensive, you know, approach to it, yeah, sure, that'd be great. That's a, that, and that is an amazing way to wrap up. So, Tom, I really thank you for taking time out of your Sunday afternoon, uh, as we're recording this, <laughs> to, uh, to uh, come on, and I, I certainly hope that, uh, you know, you'd be happy to come on again, hopefully as a newly elected uh, Board of Education candidate, but I really wish you the best, and, and this has been, I've learned a lot today, uh, so thank you for, for volunteering to um, step up and run for this office, and all the best to you. Thanks. I, I really do appreciate you guys having me on your show. As somebody who, who's had a podcast, I appreciate uh, the, the hard work that you, you both do to, to make this happen, and so I do appreciate that opportunity to come on here, share my message. And absolutely, I'd love to come back on anytime. Uh, I love talking about these issues. I love talking, uh, getting into the details and things like that. So anytime. Okay, great. Jason, anything in closing? Oh, God. Uh, yeah, we have, we have a new sponsor. Another new sponsor. Another they are just That's rolling in. Week. Rolling in. So let me make sure I got my script in front of me, right? <clears throat> All right. Tepid pockets. They're going to be that way in three minutes anyway. Tepid pockets. All right. Very good. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I, I, I have to admit, I, I, I tried their uh, their uh, uh, semi-coagulated cheddar and chive flavor. 
and uh, it was quite yummy. So uh, with that, we will we will uh, bid adieu. And you have been listening to Forward Maryland. Thank you for being part of this today, and have a great day. Take care.